This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Cleaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we're going to be talking about helping doctors help patients, how enablement defines population health success. You know, as we look at the future of value-based care, you know, physicians are often looking for solutions to streamline and improve care delivery in an industry that's ever-changing, and they already don't have enough time to do all that they want, and they're always being asked to do more and more. You know, they want more time with patients, but this fee-for-service machine that we're currently in, it demands that they see more patients, more quickly, more transactions. And we have to create a, an enablement that allows for population health and relationship-based care. And this isn't just a, us creating a system that demands more, but we offer less to accomplishment. So there has to be something that we offer in terms of providing risk-based reimbursement but a, an enablement towards these value-based programs that create success. And doctors in private practice or those that are employed by systems have to have hope that there is a, a way out of this current fee-for-service uh, disillusionment towards a better tomorrow where they can care for the individual and spend more time and serve the patient and get the best outcomes possible. And then when they discover the possibilities of value-based care, they'll be able to be able to thrive and, and create a better health and communities, lower disparities, and, and really have the pajama time that they're seeking to spend time with their own families so that they can be their best person both in and out of the office. So this week, we're going to be talking about physician enablement, and we're going to be showcasing a company that we've had on the, on the podcast previously, Privia Health. Now, Dan, this is a company that I, I love hearing about how they're partnering with the physicians and communities and really creating an, an infrastructure and a culture to create this higher level performance that's needed for physicians while also fostering improvements in the culture of care. Eric, I 100% agree, and I'm super excited for our listeners to hear today from Keith Fernandez, the Chief Clinical Officer of Privia Health. And, and Dr. Fernandez really understands what physician enablement means. It's overcoming the barriers that providers are facing today. And there's a study out from Medical Economics that grouped these challenges into three broad categories. There's the administrative burdens and paperwork, 
there's appropriate compensation for patient care. And then there's the burnout or the need for autonomy that physicians are experiencing. And, you know, prior to joining Privia, Dr. Fernandez served as president and physician in chief of the Memorial Hermann Physician Network, as well as the chief medical officer at Memorial Hermann Accountable Care Organization. And he's developed a ro robust clinical integration program with over 2,000 physicians, 90% of whom operated in private practice. And he formed this program that was the bedrock of the most financially successful MSSP for three years and generated more than 180 million in shared savings. And he's just got the experience that the physicians that he serves have needed and have benefited from. He's a great example and a voice for physician enablement. Well, physician enablement is the key. And if you want to know more about that, tune in to this week's podcast. Before we hand it over to Dr. Keith Fernandez, Chief Clinical Officer at Privia Health, I wanted to remind you we have a, a great newsletter that you can subscribe to so you won't miss content as we're releasing new and new episodes each week with the leading innovators and thought leaders in value-based care. And also, we'd love to get your feedback, so feel free to leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. So let's now hear from Dr. Keith Fernandez as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. Dr. Fernandez, welcome to the Race to Value today. We're so excited to have you for our conversation. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Well, Dr. Fernandez, let's start by discussing healthcare technology. Enablement organizations like Privia aim to implement interoperability across the care continuum and streamlining physician workflows and optimizing performance and really freeing up the time that's needed for patient interactions by reducing all the complex, confusing, and time-consuming administrative tasks that doctors and their staff have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're really talking about things like AI and patient outreach tools, remote patient monitoring, telehealth, mobile apps, all of the things that we can think about to increase engagement and improve health, health outcomes and uh, reduce costs. And I wanted to ask you, you know, as we're elevating physician perspectives and factoring in their expertise and experience into clinical informatics, how do we create and design these digital tools so that they work for and not against providers? Oh, that's an exceptional question, especially uh, for me. Uh, I think that the important thing about the question is how are we engaging our physicians to tell us what they really need rather than us going to them with some solution and saying, here's what you really need. And I think we have a very high degree of physician engagement. We do it multiple ways. Each of our medical groups, you know, in each market is a different medical group. It has individual governance. And Privia Health, of course, has a board that governs uh, the activity of Privia Health. We have something called the National Physician Advisory Council, which has grown over the years from a small number of physicians, 25 to 100 now, that help us govern how Privia responds to physician needs. How does, uh, for instance, our, our platform, Athena-based but proprietary uh, electronic medical record and technology platform, how was that utilization uh, driven by doctors? How was the build driven by doctors? We have a longstanding group of docs in the National Clinical IT Advisory Council that basically puts uh, uh, input in. They meet very, very regularly, at least once a month, uh, to give the executives uh, feedback on how the, how the technology is working. Is it doing all of the different jobs that that platform does? It's an important component of revenue cycle. It's critical to having uh, data, you know, patient data at the point of care, 
critical to knowing what happened to a patient, um, you know, over the past few years and yesterday and what needs to happen tomorrow using a, a variety of different tools. So I'll call out uh, just a couple of things uh, about that. For instance, you mentioned AI, and I think we're treading carefully with what everybody calls AI, but we do use clinical decision support to help drive certain types of activity uh, with patients. For instance, in high-risk medications, uh, if you order a high-risk medication in an elderly patient, there's a little warning that comes up and says, are you sure you want to do that? I think a lot of people wonder if that's really very effective, but when that warning comes up about 50% of the time, the, the uh, physician or provider changes the order. So I think it's uh, fairly effective. The other things is there is so much data. Nowadays, I would say there's just a, an overabundance of data much of which is not that important. So how do we define and drive what is really important to a physician uh, in gathering data about a particular patient? That the National Physician Advisory Council and the National Clinical IT Committee help us with, and we have a continuous feedback uh, capability with the EMR for, for physicians to give us information about what seems to be working and what uh, isn't working. So those are a few of the things uh, that we do. I think our technology platform allows both the physician and maybe as importantly, the, the uh, population health staff and operational consultants to really understand what's going on with specific populations that are covered by specific contracts. Some of those contracts might be fee-for-service, as you suggested. Some of them may be value-based contracts. Some of them are risk contracts. And Different data may be important for different populations. In a fee-for-service population, it's much less data uh, intense than it is in a downside risk population. How do we negotiate what's really important, what isn't? How do we know what's going on yesterday, but as importantly, tomorrow and over the next couple of months? Rather than giving the doctor a, you know, a long list of patients that need to be seen, we can actually look back and see who's been seen who's going to be seen already and deliver information on a relatively small population uh, that needs that the physician or the practice needs to address right away. Yeah, so when we uh, look at the, these uh, populations, I think the support that we bring, you know, one thing is, is technology. We also have people that we call operational consultants who help with the revenue cycle and business management of a practice. We have a population health team and advisors that interact with the, with the practice related to quality metrics and uh, risk scoring, uh, those kinds of things. In the background, we have technology. For instance, you know, when somebody has diabetes and needs to get a blood test for diabetes, the first thing you want to know is, did they already have the blood test? And you look in the normal spot and it's not there. We have bots, we call them, that actually can go look for that information, even when it's not in the right place. There's a lot of that information. That causes a, a physician or a practitioner to have to go looking for it. In the old days, it would be going through a paper chart. The electronic chart is perhaps better than that, but it's still a lot of looking in different places. So we have technology that will actually uh, surface that information, and then the doctor can actually put it in the correct place. We also have teams that will actually go looking for the doctor. So we do have human support as well, sometimes equally effective uh, human support that will go and gather information so that uh, certain types of metrics can be met. And when it's not being met, it's a relatively smaller number of people that we have to kind of chase that down. 
So the population health uh, team can can help uh, drive certain types of activity uh, related to reporting quality metrics. So important because almost all of our contracts are filtered by quality. So you save money, but you didn't hit certain quality measures. Critically important to the doctor. I think you know when you you brought up moral injury or otherwise known as burnout. I think one of the main things we're trying to do, and this is a big job. I don't think the pie is yet baked. But we're trying to take a lot of those tasks that require a doctor to go look for something or point and click stuff, you know, to show uh, where, where data is, all that kind of stuff, trying to lift that off. We're doing other things around that, though, too, that I think are, are uh, significantly important. So just interacting with an EMR takes time. And you've heard that, you know, sometimes uh, physicians report adding an hour and a half, two hours you know, 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week to their day by having to interact uh, with an electronic medical record. We have services called Scribe Plus that bring a, a remote scribe into every patient visit that you want a remote scribe. They operate in our electronic medical record. So there's not scanning, you know, something into the record that you then have to go look for also. The information is put right in the flow of uh, the patient node. And it was, it's a turnaround, it's not immediate, but it's within a day. We also have services, you know, when you think about a physician, they're not really trained, oddly enough, in documentation and coding. There's so much other stuff to learn. And the world has changed. Of course, many of us, like me, didn't grow up with a whole lot of that. It was, I actually grew up in the Air Force. There was no billing and coding other than I saw the patient, really. So we have something called uh, Coder Plus and Biller Plus. These are services that the physician can sign up for that really take a lot of that burden off. And you'll hear um, physicians who use that say, you know, I go home now. When at, the, at the end of uh, the day, at five o'clock, I actually go home and I don't take my, my computer with me. This is a, a kind of be life-changing thing. Now, doctors are doctors. So some doctors that do this actually see more patients rather than taking, uh, you know, a little bit of a break. So providing those kind of services, physicians can actually do what a physician is intended to do. The most important thing to physicians um, and to many practitioners is the interaction, unencumbered interaction between the physician and a patient, listening without disruption, no typing, clicking, you know, looking around for stuff while you're talking to a patient. We've actually surveyed our doctors, and I think all doctors would probably fit into a, a fairly narrow, narrow category where the joy that they get out of practicing medicine is in that interaction. What is a patient got? What are they complaining about? What do we need to do about that? What could it be? And what is the treatment? And has having all of your time uh, focused on that kind of joint uh, decision making. So those are the kinds of things we're doing. Just on the on the other side, I talked about operational consultants who go in and, and run the numbers, the fee-for-service numbers in particular. You know, how many patients are you seeing? What, are, what kind of payment are you getting from the different payers? Are you billing appropriately? Are you collecting appropriately? If I remember my practice in gastroenterology, I think I guarantee, I can guarantee you that I was not getting paid for all of my services. And I don't want to blame the payer for that. A lot of it had to do with me and my competency at, uh, at billing. Um, so our tools and our professionals uh, who help the practice can point out these sorts of things and then help, help them resolve those issues. They can also do things. One of the big 
challenges, I think, of medicine in the value-based space is you need to spend uh, a significantly more time and energy on patients to deliver a better outcome. It's not in the old ways we used to call it the mill. You know, you have to see a patient, you get paid. You see a patient, you get paid. Now you're getting paid on an outcome. And so certain things need to be addressed to ensure that that patient is okay. And one of the biggest issues there is many practices are not set up to do that. They're set up to see a lot of patients. We help uh, practices, uh, and this is you know volunteer, but we help them start new processes and procedures with people doing sometimes different jobs than they did before, again, to take a lot of that uh, burden off of the physician or the practitioner and put a lot of, uh, of the responsibility for taking care of data and information on people who are like medical assistants. And by the way, a medical assistant really likes being involved in act, interacting with the patient in that fashion. So it actually improves the satisfaction. So people, process, and technology are important uh, skills of our, our uh, performance consultants that can really help a practice improve their, their workflow and efficiency. I love how you tie it to the, the physician satisfaction that they get out of the, the care that they're providing and, and the relationship. And, and obviously somebody who's satisfied is going to be a lot happier with the work that they're doing and and do better work. And, and that's a topic. I, we'll, we'll swing back to that conversation a little bit, but I want to address another concern that physicians have. And it's one of the biggest concerns for independent physicians today, and it's the financial component. And we saw many independent physicians struggling through COVID, through the pandemic, and as that exacerbated the problem. And, and you cited Rebecca Pfeiffer's a report for Healthcare Dive where she said the competition for scarce supplies and federal aid paired with a catastrophic plummet in patient visits early in the year left independent primary care practices, many already operating on razor thin margins, wheezing. And we know that the financial instability and uncertainty has led many doctors to leave private practice. And we've seen that in the great resignation and 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 many throughout the medical industry. And although Many for physicians are interested in value-based contracts and see the hope that they offer. We know that 97% still rely on fee-for-service reimbursement as their primary uh, funding mechanism. Uh, and that's according to the Deloitte report you mentioned. So it's critical that physician enablement be powerful, but also cost-effective. And so I, I'd like to know more about how Privia enables physicians by reducing the direct costs. When we think about bundling, offloading, group purchase discounts, and what other necessary services like the pair contracting, you mentioned revenue cycle management earlier, performance management, what kind of things are you providing for physicians? And how does stabilizing their finances help the care team devote more time and energy and resources to patients? Well, yes, if you've ever been in practice, you know that there's a, a gigantic amount of work to do, even around fee-for-service billing. We're looking for a future where there's a lot less of that and you're just paid on the outcome in a more in a more simple fashion. Yeah, so as I said, many physician practices, even pretty large physician practices, don't collect what they actually earn. Uh, so I think of the efficiencies in that area, the efficiencies in how you use the people in the practice, the support around revenue cycle that we provide as a part, uh, part of our platform and our revenue cycle team, taking that burden off of the practice 
And we do it, I think, fairly well. In, in the, an average practice that we visit, it varies from market to market, but their, their collection rate may be just 92% of what they actually deserve to be paid. And our processes, first automated processes to make sure that they're getting paid the right rate. So appeals that don't require any practice effort and you know automated technology that goes and says, like, we're going to try and collect that medicine can bring their collection rates up in the 95 and 95 plus range. Well, just think that's, you know, could be five in some practices, 10% increase in revenue with no significant change in the amount of work that's expended to get that. In fact, there may be less work expended because it's being done in an automated fashion uh, behind the scenes. We are delivering, especially to primary care doctors, um, significant value in value-based contracting. I think the statistics are, are pretty clear. Our Medicare shared savings programs across the country have been very successful in changing that equation for patients, at least who participate significantly in those programs. The Medicare program is the most uh, beneficial for uh, primary care doctors. And I think uh, it can deliver substantial money. Uh, the, the practices that have 400 or 600 Medicare patients per provider uh, actually increase their revenue substantially. I won't give you an exact number, but I, I have plenty of examples where the take-home pay of the physicians has doubled. And as you know, some doctors will then say, hey, I can see fewer of these kind of patients. And some doctors go, oh, I can see more patients. Um, so sure it changes their their actual work ethic. I want to say something about stabilizing revenue. So there are a few things about that. One of them is when COVID happened, we had already uh, built a uh, virtual platform. And that virtual platform was built at the request of the physicians uh, in the advisory committee. We were working on the, on the platform before we went to that committee, but the committee came back and the leadership came back and said, you got to do that. And this was uh, before COVID. We really started it of interest in Hurricane Harvey in the Gulf Coast market, where we had a disaster that was uh, you know, proportionally huge. Patients couldn't see their doctors. We had practices completely underwater, practices that lost all of their technology. Um, you know, they still had their iPhones, but computers. Uh, were out and patients couldn't get to their doctor. Um, so it was a, a real big thing. And we our, our platform was then just brand new. It was nascent. Not, not too many people were using it. And we implemented that. We, you know, the great advantage of having a company like ours is there are a lot of people who were, weren't in our market who could help us build and execute on that. Uh, I think that really helped us. That drove the, the development of the virtual care I think significantly over the next couple of years. And when COVID happened, we went from, these are rough numbers, 200 you know, virtual visits a week across all of Privia to near 8,000 virtual visits a day. Just a huge change. You can imagine our physicians said often, I mean, a reasonable quote from many physicians was, thank heaven I'm with Privia. Uh, because we were so quickly able to do that. And then we repurposed, you know, people in, in revenue cycle jobs to be trainers in, in the virtual care space. Um, so that's one thing. There's other things that we think are important uh, to make sure that with the vagaries of population health uh, contracting, some years you win, you might win a lot. 
Next year, it might be a lot less. We typically do win, so not too many years where we're below that. But having other revenue streams, I think, is critically important. So we, we think it's important to have an ancillary program for the physicians. It's not mandatory. Not everybody participates. It has to be start compliant. And it's not uh, built to cost more. It's built to cost the same or less than a standard laboratory does. But it can bring a revenue stream in for the physicians that helps even out some of these changes that occur with value-based contracting. I'll also mention, you know, thinking about uh, ancillary uh, financial uh, streams, we also implemented, starting back in 2018, a clinical research program. And the concept was not to invent the next most expensive medicine for something that we already have a medicine for, but it was actually to say, we can bring care and new treatments to patients who are not getting better with current therapy. And you, you brought up earlier social determinants. I would say you can bring people who have significant barriers to getting health care. Sometimes they don't have transportation. Sometimes they don't have the money. Uh, sometimes they don't have the, the uh, language skills. Sometimes they don't have the right food. With a clinical research program focused really on population health, how can we bring innovative research uh, to populations of people who need something new? We're able to bring both the patient and, and the practices a significant benefit. So we, we've, um, we've done that, and that has been rapidly growing. We're very proud of the fact that we were amongst the top three practices in the country in the Moderna uh, vaccine for children, and we participate in you know, many other types of uh, clinical research, diabetes, you know, chronic obstructive pulmonary, pulmonary disease and heart disease, just for some examples. So it seems like Privia, you're enabling physicians, and that means enabling all physicians, primary care and specialty, independent and employed. All providers play this pivotal role in the healthcare landscape, and creating enablement means offering your partners tools uh, and resources that benefit everyone. And that doesn't mean taking a one-size-fits-all approach. Rather, a high-performance model has to include customizations while aligning around shared values that are forward-looking, evidence-based, patient-centric, and more. You know, further, it, you know, it, it should also encourage growth and promote autonomy and clinical decision-making to serve the unique needs of diverse patients. So what is previous approach to a governance model that's physician-led, that fosters collaboration between doctors, opens opportunities to exchange best practices and feedback, cultivates leadership, elevates the clinical voice. How do you give doctors a platform to make meaningful changes in the communities to which they serve? How do we rebuild practices for this future? If, if for instance, you know, 600 patients having great outcomes can deliver a greater financial benefit to the practice, what do we do with the other 1,500 or 2,000 patients that that practice would have uh, seen? This is not going to happen overnight. And this is something we listen to the physicians about. We're not in the business of going into practice and saying, okay, this is what you need to do. We're in the business of listening. That National Physician Advisory Council is one of the places where we listen. We don't talk. We actually go and bring our doctors together and ask them uh, what's going on. So I don't want to give a misimpression there. But if I imagined a future that was different, first of all, the people in, in a practice, it wouldn't be getting rid of anybody who works for the practice, probably. It would be giving them jobs. 
um, that they can accomplish successfully, that give them a reward. They feel good doing those jobs. And then using your clinical staff, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, seeing patients. And you, people say, oh, well, you're going to have them see the easy patients and the doctor will see the hard patients. And I'd say, no, that's not it. That's actually having the nurse practitioner or uh, physician assistant seeing patients that they're comfortable taking care of. That might be heart failure patients. They can be very expert in taking care of heart failure patients and use the physician only as a resource uh, to go to if somebody needs it. So I think that, that the physician is going to eventually be the team captain truly and an expert resource for many patients. I'm going to pause there because I'll tell you the best part of my practice as a physician and a gastroenterologist was taking care of people who other people saw and didn't get better. And I don't mean because they had something complicated. It might be that they had something simple. They needed to see me because in their mind, I'm the expert, right? So they don't want to see a nurse practitioner and they don't want to talk to um, what they consider to be someone less expert in the practice about their problems. So when I talk about this, I think what we, what we need to focus on is what does that patient need? And a patient with irritable bowel syndrome may need to talk to me. A patient with chronic heart failure might like the nurse practitioner or PA a lot better than me. And they actually may be better at taking care of the details than I am. So I think what we want to do is work with practices to see if we can help them do this kind of change. And that's the performance consultants. We call them it's operational consultants who can help uh, rebuild those things. We do talk about this at our councils so that we can get input from the physicians on who's interested in doing this. I think it's going to be in the future, a critical uh, component of what we do. When we began the discussion with physicians, you know, we talk about all of the things we do. If they decide to move forward, we actually do an analysis. Um, it's a mandatory part of the pro uh, process to see how they would do in Privia. What's the financial equation for them? Will they be better off or worse off? We, we don't want to bring people in who are not going to be at least somewhat better off. I will tell you, some doctors come in anyway, and they come in for the vision, for being a part of a physician-led medical group and, and that sort of thing. But we do a pretty complete analysis of what joining Privia would mean financially. We add in, of course, our, our uh, group purchasing uh, stuff, our efficiencies in the office, our increase in net realization rate, which is the percent of money that people collect. And, and all of those things and produce a financial package and then present that to the practice as this is what it would look like. This usually doesn't include any guarantees about value-based care, but we can show them what we believe would happen. And we can tell, frankly, most of the time what will happen. Uh, we have a lot of uh, information and everybody does available about practices and how they, how they do in, uh, in value-based care. So we do that. If you decide you want to uh, move forward, of course, the physicians in the medical group decide who comes into the medical group. So it's, it's um, a group of physicians um, on one or another committee in, the in each medical group. It's not a national decision. It's a local decision that says this is a doctor we would want. And they look at the doctor's reputation. They look at uh, you know any data that's available, malpractice cases, all that. Does none, nothing necessarily eliminates them from consideration. Many doctors or fantastic doctors have had malpractice complaints. 
Um, and then we have them sign a contract. And the contract now is three years. We actually started out in the, in the early days with a year and a half and then changed to three years because almost nobody wanted to change in any case. And it allows us, I think, to, to feel more comfortable that we're going to get the value because we put a lot of energy and, um, and cost into getting these practices up and running on our platform. It's usually a three-year contract. Generally speaking, you've got to come on to the uh, technology platform, which means you got to change the EMR. And you know how doctors love to change EMRs. I think it's one of the greatest traumas of life to change EMRs. We do a really good job at it, but it's still very traumatic. By the way, if you sign the contract, you're not going to start tomorrow. It's going to be four months because we have to do the credentialing and all the, the evaluation of the practice before we actually launch. But it usually takes four months or so to get up and running. And then, of course, these financial reports are produced on a regular basis, as long as you're with Privia. We don't like to lose practices, but if you decided you didn't want to be in Privia um, after your contract is up, we also help you uh, get your contracts back and to get back into a, a reasonable practice. We're not, we never, you know, we love doctors, right? So if they're with us, we love them. And if they, they want to leave us, we still love them. Oh, thank you. That, that's so insightful, and I appreciate uh, having having that explanation and understanding more about uh, how Privia approaches the relationship with the doctors. and And I know that uh, you know when we think about the 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 providers and the teams of people that are serving patients, you know, at Privia, you guys talk about how enabling physicians means means enabling all physicians, not just primary care. It includes specialty, and not just independent. It could include employed and. And we know that providers play a pivotal role in the healthcare landscape. And this really requires that your organization and other partners offer tools and resources that benefit all of those stakeholders. And so it's not really a one-size-fits-all approach, right? And you've talked about it being regional instead of national. And so uh, you guys mentioned that a high-performance model should include customization while aligning around shared values like and being forward-looking, evidence-based, patient-centric, and more. And it should encourage growth as well as promote autonomy in clinical decision-making so that providers can serve the unique needs of diverse patients. I'd love for you to explain what Privia's approach, you know, you you, you mentioned earlier the governance model that is physician-led, and I'd, I'd like to hear more about the collaboration that that fosters between doctors, how it opens opportunities to exchange best practices and feedback, cultivating leadership, elevating the clinical voice, and really giving doctors a platform to make meaningful changes in the communities that they serve. So we just finished our National Physician Advisory Council and our first graduating class of the clinical leadership program. So when you talk about how do we get doctors into build, helping us build this company and our people process technology uh, and everything about it is we do it by engaging them um, in groups of physicians and listening to them. We also have the specialty collaboratives. It's a little bit to the individual differences between practices, which also just met a couple of weeks ago. And we had somewhere around 14 different specialties represented. Those groups actually provide independent advice uh, around our platform about what works for ear, nose, and throat, what works for cardiology, uh, pulmonary, neurosurgery, et cetera. You know, how do we, how do we need to modify the platform? I'm going to say, so you're right. It's not like one size fits all. We don't come in and say, here's the stamp. 
for how how you use an EMR, everybody uses it the same way. It may be used uh, quite differently. The same thing is true. You mentioned we partner with hospitals to help build medical groups and expand medical groups. Um, and obviously the independent model, I, I suspect there will be specialty specific models that really just focus on a specialty in the future. And I think that's an important concept. Again, we're trying to empower doctors, enable doctors, improve their life and help you know drive great care for their patients. Uh, and so the model has to be uh, pretty flexible. If you think about that, it says, you know, what do we need more of in Privia? And I would say we need physician leaders in Privia. So we began the physician leadership program with some people who were already doing leadership types of things, many of them starting out as volunteers, right? Not necessarily skilled in any particular fashion, but willing to help. And we've just completed that program to just universal satisfaction. The docs um, are extremely happy. And maybe as importantly, when we ask uh, our executives, anything different with these people? Are they you know, doing anything different? Do you notice anything? And I am uh, also uh, manage one of the ACOs in Texas. And I can say, and our leadership all said, whoa, what has happened here? Because the physicians were coming out and talking differently. I remember people sending me messages going, what happened to this doctor? He's talking a whole different way. He's listening to people. He's engaging everybody in the conversation. For our long-term success, we need a lot of physicians who know how to listen to doctors and help uh, help them build uh, a future. So I think those kinds of things are critically important. I do want to say something about social determinants, if I, if I can. We're very concerned about social determinants and the, the disconnect, and appropriately, this is all relatively new, the disconnect is that there all are, are all of these social issues and most of them are not in a physician's power to control or help. There haven't been ways of paying uh, physicians to do the extra work, maybe even having to hire extra people to be able to uh, successfully improve the, the, uh, the lives of these patients who are affected by social determinants. We have uh, begun, and I think we have a couple of small uh, contracts around social determinants, but we've begun the process of learning and educating ourselves and defining our practices about how intense social determinants uh, are. I think um, we, we match uh, the ZIP-9 to um, the, uh, the Wisconsin Area Deprivation Index to be able to give a not an individual patient ranking, but a group of patients ranking. If you're in a particular part of town, how many of the patients that come from these areas are in your practice? We're starting now to begin screening programs for social determinants in preparation for the changes that will happen uh, with Medicare and I think commercial payers around what we can do for those patients. I think people understand that patients you know, strongly affected by social determinants often cost a lot more money to take care of. If you can take care of them better and more completely, their cost of care will drop. And this isn't a conjecture. Uh, this is already you know, seen significantly in Medicare Advantage programs, which are often down, downside risk programs. Taking care of those kinds of things is critically important. I'll mention one other thing because I always think, what is this doing to a doctor? So I think we pay our bonuses based on you're hitting quality metrics and cost metrics 
patient satisfaction metrics uh, increasingly uh, important and thank heaven for that. I think that should have been much more important for a long time. So when we deliver the bonuses, we say, well, did you save money? Did you get all the quality measures? Are your patients happy? And many times, if you're in an area of social determinants, negative social determinants, your numbers don't look as good. And so you, th you think out of the box, you'd say, well, okay, you don't hit the 85% quality metrics or your cost isn't lower. You're not getting your bonus. Sometimes you're not getting your bonus at all or you're getting less of a bonus. And the, the result of that is that practices in these areas do much worse financially. They can't hire people because they don't have the extra money to hire people. They can't bring in new doctors because the new doctors don't want to be in that environment. So I think we've begun a kind of a modulation uh, process that if you're taking care of patients in these areas that are really sick, you're still going to get your bonus. You're still going to get your bonus as long as you're you know, doing everything you can do. And then Privia's responsibility in that is what do we do systemically for those populations? So I would say we've implemented uh, pilots with using uh, EMTs to visit patients in their home. I think clinical research is a little bit of that too. We have several home care uh, pilots going on and we actually have some practices that do home care. Uh, so they can, they can interact with a patient in a different uh, fashion. Remote monitoring is one of the ways that we can actually keep an eye on patients too. Again, more challenging when social determinants are heavy, but it's, it's sometimes a helpful way of knowing what's wrong with a patient or that something isn't right with a patient before they know it. Well, one of the major challenges for any organization involved in risk is that different payers have different requirements, but doctors want the freedom to care for any patient regardless of the payer and physician enablement organizations like yours, I mean, they should be seeking to increase access for all the different patient cohorts. And physicians have to be enabled with those tools and technology and the resources that we've been talking about to uh, engage this diverse patient population. You know, for example, while, while some patients may prefer and be comfortable utilizing telehealth, others will invariably opt in for in-person visits. And patient portals can also create this seamless self-service hub for digitally minded patients, but some patients may prefer a phone call, you know, when scheduling an appointment or paying their bill. So Dr. Fernandez, as you see consumerism and healthcare continuing to rise, what role does physician enablement play to help doctors meet all patients where they are and in a way that prioritizes the patient's preferences and values? I think some of the stuff we've talked about is being able to offer patients really what they want and what they need. To do that, you have to have the time to figure that out with a patient. That's not an easy, you know, that's not like, well, check this box here and we'll, you know, we'll do what you want. Some of the things that we're doing really on, on this, uh, this whole process is upfront collecting a lot of information the way the patient likes it. Sometimes I, I will tell you social determinants, for instance, patients a lot of times don't want to talk about that in the office. Right. They, they're sitting down with someone and, and you know, what are they going to say? Like, I, I don't have enough to eat. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable and even uncomfortable with the doctor. A lot of research shows that if you collect that information before they come to the office or when they arrive in the office using some, you know, tablet type technology, you can get a huge amount of information that helps you figure out what that patient really needs. 
I will say, I think the most important thing is still that face-to-face -face time with a trusted provider, physician, nurse practitioner, PA, or other, that allows you the, the uh, time to be able to figure those things out with a patient. Yeah, I love that response. That's really important. You've suggested this a little bit in our earlier conversation, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper and talk about something that we've all come to value during the pandemic, and that's the flexibility component. And so when you think about serving the needs of many physicians, the enablement company, Privia, needs to be combine flexibility with another really important business driver, which is replicability and scalability. And so when you think about these features working together to elevate physicians' voices and affecting change in their communities and moving their markets to value-based care, how does Privia create a, this model that allows the flexibility at an individual level, but, but also achieves replicability and scalability? And then how does that serve the providers in reducing their burdens and enhancing their ability to provide the best care while still achieving cost and quality performance the targets that they that they're working toward. Yeah, so I think uh, I may answer this differently than than you might guess, but you know I think it's important to know when when you join a group like ours, you're a part of a group. There's some great benefits to being a part of a group, and then there's some things that you know may take a little bit of your not your patient autonomy, but maybe you know technology autonomy off of the table. I have found in my career that when you put doctors in a room together, discuss or educate them about a problem, their problems too, have them you know, open, open up about what's going on with their practice, and you ask them to help you fix it, they will come to a, a, a decision 99% of the time that uh, is directed towards the common good. I, I have... I hear a lot about, you know, doctors want to do it this way and that way and the other way. And I, I know that there's truth in that, but not all those things matter, right? Some of them you can do differently and it doesn't really matter. Some you can't do differently. You can't have different data, you know, reported at the point of care for every practice. It has to be a common sort of thing. So by bringing the physicians together and getting um, them to tell us what the right thing to do is, we have, uh, I think, a common spirit. I think at this most recent meeting of the National Physician Advisory Council, we're a new company. You know, we haven't been around that long. And the physicians were acting and talking like a medical group and not even a regional medical group, but a national medical group. This is who we are. This is how we operate. It may be different in the Gulf Coast. It might be different in Florida in partnership with a hospital in many ways, but the common physician needs are the same. So I, I think that, you know, having a highly engaged physician uh, group is probably the most critical component to getting scalability. We can't make the EMR different for every market. It begins to cost too much money. So we have to have a common platform. That means some people are going to win and some people are probably not going to win. We want to get as close as we can to a win for everybody. You, you make it sound like we should be putting doctors in uh, into politics to solve our nation's <laughs> challenges with all the political things that are happening. Find some common ground and agreement. I think it's not a bad idea. Although, I don't know, although doctors in politics, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. I, wish, I wish we could solve the problems. So, Dr. Fernandez, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, this is a multi-decade commitment, you know, and creating this sense of 
physician enablement. It's not just a, a one and done business. I mean, you have to shift, evolve and adapt to fit the healthcare landscape and continually improve that experience for physicians. You know, while the future of healthcare is uncertain in many respects, and you know, from the technology, the political, regulatory, and investment side, you know, there's so much we have to do in terms of, you know, creating time horizons with relative knowns to create a, an enablement function that can best serve the future. So, you know, Dr. Fernandez, how does Privia ensure operational excellence and an ongoing commitment to engagement in the face of all this uncertainty? I'll tell you another story about. I don't know, five years ago, the first National Physician Advisory Council happened. And and that group, very different kind of situation than we're in now. We asked the doctors, you know, what do we need to do to make things better? And they told us very frankly what was wrong. They were courteous, but they were not withholding any information <laughs> that uh, that might affect, you know, how Privia uh, felt about, about themselves even. Sean Morris, the CEO, was just starting with Privia then. In fact, I think, I think he hadn't actually signed the contract yet. And he sat in the back of the room. First thing on the doctor's list was operational efficiency. So operational efficiency was number one on the complaints. We've got to be much better at collecting the money, getting credentialing, doing all of the basic chores of medicine. Then, you know, second on the list was that we needed... Pro clinical programs that the company focus couldn't be just on building a medical group. There had to be a driving force around what are we going to do differently clinically. At that meeting, we discussed uh, diabetes, which is now one of our major projects, advanced illness management. How do you take care of the sickest people uh, that you care for? Clinical research actually was, was uh, one of those things. And when Sean started his first uh, big meeting with the company, now this isn't with the doctor, so it wasn't currying favor, it was with the company. The first thing on his list was operational efficiency. And basically that became the standard and is still the standard of running a practice well, meeting the changes, changing with the way the contracts change, uh, you know, taking that burden out of the doctor practice so that People negotiating contracts that actually you can win in is done by experts, um, and uh, and this continuous you know improvement in the type of data that we provide. So those are the those are the kind of things I think we do. And again, you know, having a medical group like this, it just requires that those doctors both are engaged enough to tell us what to do, and now with uh, some of the leadership training, uh, skilled enough to engage other doctors in that conversation. You know, I think one of the, the, the defining characteristics is that we don't, we want to change medicine. Let me, let me put it in my simplest terms when I think about this and how do I keep everything kind of in my mind. And the first thing I'll say is that our company is here to improve the care of patients. It's a simple sort of idea, very complicated to do. If you improve a patient outcomes and satisfaction, you reduce the cost, as a matter of fact. It's just, you know, better care for people reduces the cost of care for people. So I, I think that this is an easy equation. We're not doctors at Privia. I'm a doctor, but I'm not the doctor practicing medicine. So our partner, our physicians who believe in this concept, they care about the patients first. They'd like a, a better life. They'd like, well, like, well, you know, less constraint on, on their lives and uh, less, you know, busy work 
less administrative tasks that are, are really almost irrelevant to the patient care. So great care for patients comes by taking great care all the things we've talked about, technology, data analytics, uh, economics, all of those kinds of things. The course in the future is if we want to transform you know, healthcare, we need to save money. To me, in simple terms, that means we need to win. We need to win on these contracts. Well, the only way to win is to take great care of patients, right? So, I mean, to me, it's a very, very easy sort of equa equation. If we do those first thing, three, uh, three things, the great care for patients, great care for the practice of medicine, success, and we grow, then we can transform healthcare. And that's what we want to do. That's what our purpose is. I love it. It's a it's a lesson well received and and much needed throughout industry. Thank you for sharing. Um, but as as we wrap up the conversation today, you know, if if there are any other comments that you'd be interested in exploring, you know, I, I will say just we do have uh, multiple partnerships that are continuously evolving, but we do have a behavioral health partner. We're looking for more partners, and we're also looking to integrate behavioral health. Uh, into the practice. Right now, if a patient needs behavioral counseling, you just write an order for it and we have a partner that will will uh, take care of that. All of these things are difficult and more difficult and complicated than they should be because some insurances cover it, some plans under insurance cover it, some don't. So it's all uh, fairly frustrating. We also have significant partnership even with Athena on on referral management so that we're referring to the to the best doctors, the highest quality doctors, and the ones that uh, manage costs the best. Um, that kind of partnership, partnership, very, very important. We have clinical research partners that we're working with to bring these services to the physicians to take so that it's another not another burden on them, but actually lightens the burden and still allows them to participate. And partnerships uh, with uh, e-consults. This is allowing physicians to exchange information um, at the point of care, by the way, at the time the patient is in the office. A very interesting uh, topic, I think. Um, and then very close partnership with a clinical that clinical decision support tool uh, to, to not overwhelm the physician with you know, pop-ups and alerts, but to selectively uh, manage those to improve the care of the patient, improve the outcome of the patient and the cost of the care. Well, that sound awesome, and uh, I love the vision that you're that you're sharing with those uh, those high level partnerships. And how does Privia approach the the community based organizations and partnering, you know, more at a local level to address social determinants? Yeah, so we we do that really. We don't do it um, sis systemically. I think we don't yet have a program built out. It's pretty complicated. There are people in the space now, and, and I would imagine we're going to have a partnership there. We're looking at, at some uh, screening tools right now uh, to implement in the medical group so that we, we ensure we know what, the, what, what patients are affected by social determinants. We have some crude ways of doing that now. Again, the survey responses are light, done you know, at the point of care. Uh, we're looking for partnerships in, in that particular area. Um, and then, you know, when you think about this, if there was a technology, I could just press a button and say, okay, I'm in, you know, Southwest Virginia, I've got a patient with this, 
uh, here's their screening on social determinants and press this button and they get contact from a, you know, a, a pantry, they get contact from social workers, they get all the things that they need. That's still a big build in front of us. Although I think, I think we'll get there. I think the model's changing. I, I actually love some of the stuff that Medicare is doing, converting, you know, to a heavier emphasis on social determinants, which really drive a huge amount of the cost of healthcare, you know, where we should be focusing. And I think patient satisfaction, I go, how many companies are successful if they're, if the people that, you know, they're, they're selling to are unhappy. So that should be a big component of it. And I think at the same time, what I like is let's get rid of a lot of this administrative stuff. Let's stick to, is a patient with diabetes controlled? Yeah, Dr. Fernandez, this is such an exciting conversation. I love the the big vision that you have and the ideas that you guys are working towards and so excited to watch Privia grow and continue to reach so many physicians and help them with managing their patients better and uh, just excited to be able to report on, you know, and share the the success that you guys are experiencing. Very grateful for your time and insights and if there are any other closing thoughts you'd like to share, we'd we'd love to hear your uh what inspires you? <laughs> I, I have to tell you that I'm inspired. I, I would love to show you a video sometime of our physician leadership class. And these are not employees of Privia. They're private practice doctors. I think they're evolving leaders. Uh, but when you listen to them, I think it, it just gives you a lot of very positive feelings about where we can go uh, with healthcare. They are as inspirational, I think, uh, as any part of Privia is just watching these physicians interact with each other and help guide us into the future. So I think I would close with that. I'm just totally in awe of, uh, of our doctors and the providers and the practices that we, we have engaged. Sounds truly amazing. And it's definitely working well for you guys and continue to wish you the, the greatest of successes and and uh, look to your leadership as we, you know, as we are in this effort together to transform the industry and win the race to value. Dr. Fernandez, thanks so much for your time for being with us today.